I've always wanted to share this story. I've decided to use an old throwaway account since I usually just lurk. I have no real way of proving my credibility, but if you've ever visited or live in a rural part of South Asia, you can probably vouch for me in saying that it's a lot more plausible than one might assume. My mom was born and raised in the UK, but she is of South Asian descent. And since I'm mixed, she tries really hard to make sure I'm in touch with my culture. This meant that, as a child, we would make a lot of frequent visits back home. Every summer I can remember was spent there, and then it suddenly just stopped after this incident. My mom's family back home live in an extremely rural part of the country. There is a lot of poverty surrounding our family home, so we rarely left our relatively nice part of the village. I was never allowed out to explore, and coming from the concrete jungle that is London, I was always so curious. I was eight at the time. One of my uncles from a neighboring village would often visit with his children, and when they did, my mom would let me go with them to a small hut-like shop that sold sweets and snacks, like 15 minutes away from the family home. My cousins were 11 and 19, and both male, and it was broad daylight. To get to the shop, we walked through a small do-it-yourself road, and on both sides is what I would call the jungle. It was basically just a lot of trees and bushes, as far as you could see. You can't really see anything beyond the trees, it's just a lot of greenery. I'm mixed with East Asian, I definitely get my looks from my dad's side. So being an obvious foreigner in a rural part of back home meant that I was pretty used to strangers staring and asking me questions. I was also used to creepy men that would tell me I was beautiful because I had pale skin. My mom warned me about these men and make sure I knew to stay away from them. So, the road to the hut was paved with creepy people making creepy comments and my cousins basically telling them to leave me alone in less than pleasant terms. There was also a group of young guys. Some of them had motorbikes and some were just chilling. One of them waved at me. He seemed friendly enough, so I just waved back and went about my day. Once we got to the hut, we immediately started losing our self-control with the snacks. The owner was super friendly, and he let us try a bunch of the sweet mishtis he had, and he also had coffee ice cream for the first time. I distinctly remember being really excited, because my mom and aunts loved coffee ice cream, so I thought it would be a nice surprise for them. I asked for three, and the nice guy gave me four, so my hands were full, and they were quickly melting, and he told me to run, to go home quickly. I told my cousins I would get a running start, and once they finished, they could catch up. I would still be in their line of sight, plus it was daytime and it was a busy road. I start running back. There were a few older aunties that stood at the top of the road, and something about their presence gave me a sense of security. I felt a lot safer knowing they were there, and paired with the fact that my cousins were able to see me clearly, I felt comfortable enough to just walk back leisurely minding my business and eating my ice cream. I passed back by the group of guys, and the one that waved at me came over. He said, You're ex's niece, right? Ex being my uncle. And he jokingly took one of my ice creams and said, She got an ice cream for mama. Mama means uncle in our language, and so I just assumed he was a friend of my uncle's. He asked me when I arrived, and how I was liking the country. 
he was so friendly and he didn't look like the stereotypical creep. When I said I was going to go home, he said, Why don't you let your uncle take you? You can ride on my motorbike. I think that's when something clicked in my mind, that maybe he wasn't the friendly uncle I thought he was. That's also when I realized I was pretty much circled in and surrounded by the group of men. It's also when I realized that I could no longer see my cousins or the group of old ladies at the top of the road, which also meant they probably couldn't see me. I wish I could explain in words how helpless and afraid I was. I had all the threats in the world explained to me by my mom in a country where I knew I was vulnerable and had to be cautious, and I still managed to find myself in a dangerous situation. Luckily, my cousins came running and shouting, and the guys ran off into the jungle. When we told my family what happened, I was basically put on house arrest, and my mom refused to let me out of her sight. I was pretty shook up about the whole situation, and so, honestly, I was kind of grateful for that. I put it down to my paranoia, but at the time, I would get overwhelming feelings of being watched. Our village is quite small. Like amongst them, it's an everyone knows everyone sort of thing. My uncle is also a big community figure, and he's very well known amongst the villagers, which is why the men probably put two and two together, that I was his niece. Having foreign family over is usually a pretty big deal, and having a niece that is mixed race is also a very big deal. I'm sure the word got around. He realized that there were a group of men on motorbikes that would frequently go past our house. They stayed a decent distance from our home though, and that they weren't anyone that he knew. It's creepy to think about now, the lengths they were going to. A couple of days before we were due to fly back, I had my second, last, and worst encounter with this particular friendly uncle. It was night, and it was like every other night when we would play board games or card games in the front room. Because it was so hot, I went to my bedroom, and I was playing on my Nintendo DS. I know, what a throwback. When I saw, out of the corner of my eye, someone at the window, staring directly at me. It was him. The worst part is he had the most creepy, sick and twisted smile I've ever seen. He put a finger to his lips, but I did the literal opposite and started screaming hysterically. I had been on edge since the ice cream incident, so what might seem like an overreaction was just my natural response. I can't really tell you what happened next because no one has ever told me. My uncle and his friends are not known to be the friendliest people, but I was told he was dealt with and he would never bother me again. We recently received a wedding film from one of my cousin's weddings and part of the film was her leaving to get to the venue and I noticed that the jungle was no longer there. It had basically been cut down. For the first time, I could see beyond the greenery. That's when my mom explained to me that my uncle had it cut down not long after that particular visit because of what they called the head cutters. My entire life, I've wondered what would happen to me if I'd got on that motorbike, but now I know with reasonable certainty what his intentions were. During that time, a gang had been kidnapping beggar children. It took a while for the village to realize because it's not unusual for beggar children to go missing. When we were there, people were vaguely aware that it was becoming a trend. A couple of months later, a head was found. 
it became known in our village, but people tried to keep it quiet to avoid getting a bad name. The problem went away once a lot of the greenery was cut down, so there was nowhere left to hide. But it's also when they realized the magnitude of what had happened. The weird thing is, I've known about the head cutters for a while. I knew it was something that had occurred in our village, but for some reason, until recently, I never put two and two together. But now that I have, I often think about what nearly happened to me. But more importantly, what happened to a handful of children in our little village, I think about the fact that, beyond our relatively small circle, no one thinks about them, and no one is haunted by their deaths. So, creepy uncle with the motorbike, let's not meet again, and I hope no one has the misfortune of meeting you ever again. When I was 16, I worked in a coffee shop. It was my first job, and I really liked working there. I was a young girl, so I would occasionally get a creepy comment from some random old man. I could sometimes tolerate it because I really needed the paycheck. But this time, it went way too far. I usually work from 2pm to 10pm, and those were long feverish hours. There were two stations to switch between in the coffee shop. One for coffee and pastries, and one for ice cream. So I would be spending hours going back and forth between stations. I would often work with a girl who was in her early 20s, named Kelly. She was really pretty, and often colored her hair crazy colors. But she had the maturity of a freshman in high school. She wasn't of much help on these long nights, despite being supervisor. She had a huge ego for someone who made me do all the work, and then expect the tips to be split. For about a week, I noticed the same guy frequenting the place. He'd come in with a laptop, order a hot green tea, and then sit down and browse on the internet for hours. I didn't pay any attention to him at first. About the third day in a row of him coming in, he made small talk with me at the counter. He asked me for my name because I wasn't wearing my name tag. I told him my name and he smiled and said he knew my mom. I fake smiled and talked all giddy with my customer service voice. He then asked my age. That made me uncomfortable, so I just said I needed to check something in the back. I told Kelly that the customer out there was being creepy and asked if she could take care of him for me. She told me I was being really paranoid, but did me a solid anyway. I sat on my phone for about 10 minutes before going back out behind the counter. Kelly and this guy were laughing and talking like old chums. He seemed to be flirting with her a lot and then looked up and saw me. He smiled all creepy again, winked, and then turned around to leave. I was disgusted but decided to get on with my shift. The next day, this guy came back. He ordered his tea and then quietly went to sit at a table. I'm sort of a snoopy person and I walked over to the ice cream area where I could get a look at his screen. He was scrolling through some girl's Facebook photos, and she looked very young, like younger than me even. He clicked on pictures of this girl in swimsuits and just stared at them. I was very creeped out and forced myself to ignore it. He eventually left, and once again, I forgot about it and continued working. Just as expected, he came back the very next day. He did everything he usually did, although I spared my eyes from his laptop screen this time. At around 5, he was still just sitting around, 
he usually would have left by now, and even Kelly noticed it. He came up to the counter, and I quickly walked over to assist him. He requested a cup of boiled water for some strange medication he claimed he was on. We had a hot water machine, but to get it, I'd have to turn around. I didn't want to give him a show, so I backed up, grabbed a cup, and backed over to the machine. He seemed almost dissatisfied that I didn't turn around. I filled it up and walked back over to him and set it down in front of him. As he grabbed the cup, he made the most disgusting comment I've ever had said to me. Those leggings look a little tight on you. Are they as tight as they look? I didn't even emote. I just stared at him. He chuckled and said that he was just joking and walked back over to his laptop. I went into the back and told Kelly that she needed to kick him out. She refused and said he was just being nice. I got upset with her and walked back out. I was too scared to tell him to leave. He ended up spending the entire day there. And when 10pm rolled around, I grabbed the keys and locked the doors. They are locked from the outside, but you can still open them from the inside. This was usually my way of telling customers to get out in the nicest way possible. This guy didn't move. I brought the sign from outside back in and shut the door. He then piped up and asked what high school I went to. I ignored him and walked behind the counter and shut off a couple of lights to signal that we are very closed. Kelly came out and saw that he was still there, but didn't even try to kick him out. She made small talk with him at the counter and let him sample the ice cream. He offered her some strange white thing that looked a lot like a pill and claimed it was a mint. She declined. I was quietly counting the tips and splitting them with the tills out. I felt very uncomfortable having our registers out with this creepy guy hanging around. He didn't make any effort to talk to me, but I overheard the conversation him and Kelly were having. He asked her out, and she said no and that she had a boyfriend. He asked her what school she went to, and she laughed and said she's 22. He said, Oh, I thought you were 15. Kelly didn't laugh at that one. I was incredibly disgusted and grabbed my half of the tips and got my bag. I know I shouldn't have left Kelly there with him, but Kelly didn't take shit from anyone and she could definitely kick some ass if she wanted to. I said goodbye to Kelly and walked out to my mom's car and told her about the weird guy. My mom doesn't tolerate that shit, so she swerved around and pulled up in the parking lot. She asked if the large white truck was his. I said yes, and she told me to stay in the car. Before she even got out, he came out and saw us. He smiled and waved and started walking over. My mom backed out and drove away and told me that she knows that guy. My mom works at a bank, and he's a member. He would constantly try asking her out, despite her being married, and make inappropriate comments. My mom has a framed picture of me on her desk, and customers can see it. He must have seen that and found me on Facebook, and learned where I worked. We called the police when we got home, and told them about the man. They told us they were looking for him, and they would call us back. They found him pretty easily. He was arrested, but not for harassment, but for the fact that he had been banned from the premises for a year and wasn't allowed back yet. So, to the creepy man who stalked both me and my mother, let's hope for your sake that we never meet again.
This is the fourth time I posted this story. I really want to know what I saw that night. Can anyone help? First, I need to explain the house. The first floor was on stilts, high enough to make it second floor worthy. The second floor was three stories high as a result. My bedroom was on the first floor. My brother's was on the second. Okay, the story. I was in bed for school the next day, not quite tired yet, as it was only 9.30 or something. All of a sudden, I hear the crunching of pebbles, like someone was walking on them. Our side driveway is made of pebbles. Nothing unusual. I figure dad is walking to the garage. But what I saw was definitely not my dad. It was definitely not a human being. The thing walked by my window. It took up the entire height of it. I only saw bright white as my window was closed. But this thing was unmistakably taller than my bedroom window. Keep in mind, two stories high. I was immediately gripped by fear, as any normal child would be. I dug into my head for some kind of explanation. It took me a while to fall asleep after that. I never forgot that night. I chalked it up to a dream eventually. I mean, what else could it have been? Around nine years later, I forget how the subject of the paranormal was brought up. I mentioned seeing a tall white giant being when we lived in Illinois. That's when I learned my brother saw it too. He was on the second floor. That put him three stories high. He saw its head and shoulders. He said it had long dirty gray or white hair. It looked like a giant homeless person who hadn't washed in years. He doesn't remember if the shoulders had hair. He couldn't tell if it had eyes or a nose. He only saw it from the back, so we don't know if it was furry or just had skin past its head and shoulders. We saw the same thing, at the same time, on the same day. It couldn't have been a dream. I've googled possibilities like Wendigo, Bigfoot, or Storm Spirits. I would show my brother the pictures. The answers usually no or similar, but these features aren't like what I saw. You get the idea. So what was it? I consider these possibilities. Bigfoot? I don't think so. Bigfoot is supposedly seven feet tall or so. Not three goddamn stories. A ghost? I'm not sure, but I don't think ghosts crunch pebbles in a driveway. And ghosts typically appear multiple times in around haunted places. This is the only time either of us saw anything paranormal in our entire lives. Some sort of alien? Perhaps. It appeared out of nowhere and disappeared just as quickly. But this is in the middle of a city. I had neighbors on all sides. I lived on a fucking main street and it was only 9.30. Somebody should have seen something. A troll? I mean, maybe, but what do trolls really look like? Wendigo? Possibly. It's usually depicted as having horns, although, as Sean Smallman notes, traditional indigenous narratives never imagine the Wendigo with antlers. But they are said to be 15 feet tall which would be tall enough to be seen by both of us. I haven't seen any mention of long hair, but who knows? Maybe I can be the one to edit the Wikipedia entry. And anyone who encounters a Wendigo risk being devoured or even being turned into a Wendigo. We both survived, and last I checked, we aren't Wendigos. Another recent possibility 
a storm spirit or nature spirit, though they aren't explicitly stated to be humanoid in appearance. A tornado blew through the area soon after, but that's not unusual since we were in Tornado Alley. Could it be a traveling transdimensional being that temporarily phased into our dimension and then phased back out? And it just so happened to be on our side driveway? No fucking clue. It's been really bugging me. I have no real explanation whatsoever. I know people who have claimed to see ghosts, Bigfoot, and even aliens. But what I saw was something special. And apparently really fucking rare because all of my research drew nothing even close. It's maddening. I guess this is a struggle for those of us who know we saw something, but we can't explain. For an exact location, Google Earth, Flora, Illinois, find Washington Elementary School. My house is on the corner of South Main and Washington. You'll see the side driveway there. I never thought I'd have anything to post on this subreddit, but here I go. This literally just happened, so I'll try to keep this as short and organized as possible. But I apologize if it's neither of those two things. I'm a 29-year-old female, and my partner is a 23-year-old female. We're back in her hometown visiting her family for about a week. It's a very small, isolated town in the middle of nowhere, and basically in the middle of the woods. While we're here, she wanted to meet up with an old high school friend who still lives in the area. We'll call him Kyle. So, we meet Kyle at the beach, and right away, he's acting super weird, making jokes about having a three-way with us, and just making a bunch of unwelcome, overly sexual, gross comments. Obviously, we're unfortunately used to this stuff to a certain extent, but coming from someone who was supposed to be her good friend, it was extra annoying. So, me and my girlfriend are shooting each other panicked looks the whole time. Once he's out of earshot for a second, she says that she's sorry, that he's never been like this before, and we can make an excuse to leave. When he comes back, we tell him we want to get dinner at a local bar, but he just asks to join us. We felt awkward, so we end up saying yes. He says he doesn't know quite how to get there, so he follows us. We get there, order drinks and food and then head out to the patio with the drinks. He makes a few more gross comments, but is generally being way more cool and normal than he was at the beach. We're smoking weed on the patio and chilling. The food comes quick, and we finish it quicker. Now here's where it gets really messed up. So halfway through my first drink, I'm feeling really tired, which makes sense as we've had a long day. I give my girlfriend the signal that I want to go. She makes up an excuse that we need to go. He keeps trying to get us to come to his house. I've got good weed and dabs there, and you can meet my cats, blah blah blah. He's being really pushy. We keep saying no and making excuses. We need to check up on our grandpa, etc. So finally, we get in the car and say goodnight. We've parked next to each other, and walk up and into the cars together while saying our goodbyes. When we get in the car, my girlfriend informs me that she wants to stay at the bar, but fake it like we're leaving because she doesn't want to chill with him anymore, understandably. So we're sitting in the car, waiting for him to leave first, and when he signals for us to roll down the window. We do. He says his GPS is being funny, and asks if we can lead him to a main road. To be fair, we are in the middle of nowhere, 
so this didn't seem too outlandish. So, obviously, staying behind at the bar was out. So in the car, we're talking about how pushy he was being, and she admitted she feels weird driving right back to her grandpa's house, so we should drive into town until we lose him. He's behind us for a long time, even way after he should have gotten off on his exit. We think it's weird, but we weren't sure what to do. So, finally, we get on a two-lane road, and he pulls up next to us, and he's waving a phone, which is clearly my girlfriend's phone, in the window. We pull over. He gives her the phone back, chats for just a few seconds, and then leaves in a hurry. Here's the part that makes my skin crawl. We know she had her phone. I saw her put it in her fanny pack, which was on the table, along with my phone and her weed, a few minutes before we left the bar. As we were preparing to leave, she didn't take it back out. There's literally no way she could have left it at the bar. More importantly, he got in his car and left the bar at the same time as us, meaning he had to have already had the phone when we were leaving. It's not like we left the bar first and he saw it left on the table or something. He literally had to have been walking to the cars with us and calmly saying goodnight with the phone already in his possession. Now the kicker. Apparently, unbeknownst to me, my girlfriend had tasted a very weird bitter taste in her straw at the bar and was already suspicious, especially with the way he'd been acting. This is why she wanted to stay back at the bar, to get away from him and stay in public where she felt it was safer. So when he walked up to the car to return her cell phone, she very casually and deliberately flashed the knife that she kept for protection in her jacket. I didn't know at the time that she had done this, so that's why it left so quickly. Obviously, I was annoyed with her for not telling me her suspicions sooner, but she just didn't want me to panic. I'm really shaken up. A few things are clear. One, he stole my girlfriend's phone, and it seems like he did so, so that we'd be forced to pull over on a dark road in the middle of nowhere. Two, he quickly ended the conversation and left when my girlfriend flashed her knife. They've been good friends for almost 10 years. If he wasn't planning on doing something malicious, I feel like he would have acted confused about the knife, or said something like, What the fuck? Why would you flash a knife at me? What is this, a bad movie? Or something like that. But instead, he just booked it, which tells me he knew exactly what she was doing, reacting to a threat, and preparing to protect herself and me. 3. He probably spiked our drinks. My girlfriend noticed a weird taste in her straw right away and chose not to finish her drink. I finished half of mine and felt very tired. A few more things. I just don't know how he managed to nab the phone without us knowing or noticing. It doesn't really make sense, but he did. Me and my girlfriend both remember her putting her phone in the fanny pack perfectly. We also have no idea how he could have spiked our drinks unless he was working with the bartender, but we were the ones who suggested that bar. I don't know exactly how he did it, but I think I know why. And for that reason, my girlfriend's now ex-friend, who made creepy sexual comments, probably tried to drug us, and stole her phone in order to get us alone on a dark road. Let's not meet again. This happened in Arizona, of course, about seven years ago. While we were on our biannual fishing trip to Black River, out in the Fort Apache Indian Reservation. Each year, 
We take this little dirt road, only accessible via 4x4 vehicles, all the way until it ended. The only people we ever saw out there were cattle ranchers that never really went past the tree line, which was about a half hour drive from where we camped. Needless to say, we were always way out in the boonies. There was one way in and one way out, and we camped at the very end of this road. This trip in specific was our fifth year going to the same spot, and twice a year, this would be about our 11th week-long trip at that spot. Never saw another soul outside of our party of five, all ten other times. We'd get up super early, sometimes a little before the sun, to get everything ready to go and fish all day, wanting to get as much fishing in as possible before it got dark. This experience happened on day three of eight. We were up eating some breakfast, instant oatmeal packets and protein bars for anyone curious, and getting our gear ready to go for the day. The sun wasn't up quite yet. We still had lanterns and headlamps on to see. With all of us right there, we hear footsteps coming from the road. We all look up and see two middle-aged Native American men walking down the road. They had no gear with them, both looking straight forward and not even acknowledging our existence. They walked straight past us up the trail along the river. We were spooked because we'd never seen anyone there in the many times we'd been. We figured they may have been camping a bit further up the road. We went down the same path a bit later, and about an hour in, we hear rustling from the other side of the river. Then, we see a fawn burst out of the trees and start running downstream. A few seconds later, two very mangy coyotes come sprinting out of the same spot chasing the deer down. They eventually cross back into the woods and disappear from view. Over the next five days, we never saw the two guys again. If they had had gear, I wouldn't be suspicious of this. However, to avoid us on the way back, they would have had to go extremely out of their way to get back to that road, and it really wouldn't be feasible. On top of that, the coyotes did chase that fawn back downstream where the road was. It all started with a nightmare. I remember this vaguely, but I know enough to write about it. I was in my kitchen. My family's kitchen has a sliding glass door heading into the backyard and a window facing our neighbor's deck. Usually it's sunny and warm, the light coming in natural and comforting. But in the nightmare, it was all pitch black. I couldn't see anything outside. No porch lights next door or the backyard stones and furniture. Nothing. I couldn't move my body, but I was conscious. I was aware. I was lucid, but I couldn't control anything besides the turning of my head and the twisting of my eyes. I wasn't alone though. My mom was there beside me, as silent and unmoving as I was. I asked her what was happening, and she was just as clueless as me. Something like this had never happened. I had never felt so stuck and anxious. I felt like we were waiting for something to happen, which something did. First, it was a pale and calloused hand against the glass door. Next, an eye. Then another. A face and shoulders. A man stood there in the abyss, smiling. He wore a black leather-like jacket, 
and his chestnut hair was cut just above his eyes. His face was paled and veiny, but that wasn't the scariest part. His eyes were two white holes, glowing with light and amusement. He stared at me and mom, unblinking. His smile was that of sharp fangs and chapped lips. He was honestly the most terrifying man I'd ever seen. He inched his way to the handle of the door, starting to pull it centimeter by centimeter open. His amused grin filled with mirth. He was threatening my mother and I without even saying anything. My mom was still. She was so scared that I could feel it rolling off of her. She's a quiet person by nature. She was gaping at the man, her eyes wide and worried. She didn't speak. She was probably too scared to. But I, on the other hand, was filled with rage and starting to scream at him, telling him to stop, to just go away. But he didn't listen, and a part of me already knew that he wouldn't. When the door was open enough for his hand to slide through, gripping the inside of the door, he was practically beaming. By this point, I was crying. I didn't know at the time, but this wasn't the worst he would do. I didn't know why I was so horrified. He was halfway through the door, his foot planted on the hardwood of our kitchen, an arm wrapped around the door. I was so terrified. It felt like he was entering my home on his own behalf, like he was doing this for fun, terrorizing me and my mother for shits and giggles. I was still screaming at him to go away. By the time he was basically inside, he stopped and stared right at me. I was shaking. I'm shaking writing this. What he said next, in a gravelly, cold, and malicious whisper, will be stuck in my fucking head for years. I'll see you soon. And then I woke up. I'm not sure if I pissed the bed, but my sheets were covered in sweat. I felt hot and shaky. Tears were all over my face. I remember the snot running down my chin. It was absolutely disgusting, and I'm sorry I put that image in your head. I was a mess, and the summer sun lighting up my room did nothing to comfort me. I felt like I wasn't alone. I felt like I was being watched. But at the time, I was so shaken up, I couldn't really recall what I had dreamed. I showered and cleaned up my room, and as I went about the morning, I started to pick up memories from the nightmare. As soon as I entered my kitchen, it felt like hell erupted into the air. I was so scared again. I was worried and frantic. My mom, who was still in her room, was coming out as I was running out of the kitchen. She looked really tired, and I asked her if she had slept well. She said that she had the same dream as I did. We both remembered, and the realization made it all the more real. I started absolutely losing my shit. My anxiety was bouncing off the walls. My mom hugged me and told me it was just a nightmare, that these sort of things can happen. I believed her in that moment, but shit really hit the fan. I tried to ignore the feeling of someone being in my room. I tried to ignore the fear I had in my kitchen. I just got more and more anxious, and I couldn't handle it, so I slept in the living room. And that's where I am now, still basically living out of there. Thanks for reading. This was a recollection shared to me by my paternal aunt. This happened when she was a little girl. In the past, it wasn't uncommon for some Navajo families to be very large, eight to 10 siblings on average. 
Being the youngest, she recalls that it was her and her older siblings' duty to herd the sheep to their summer camp in the mountains. The kids were sent on foot with the flock and sheepdogs. Many households had single-cab trucks if they were lucky, so it would be unfair for the parents to take some kids and not the others. So only the parents rode in the vehicle and would await the kids at camp. Hauling water and packing summer clothes and essentials, such as imperishable food items. The majority of the Raz didn't have any water or electricity, and no paved roads at all. She said it took a little under two days to walk on foot all the way to their sheep camp if they took a shortcut through a canyon. On the first day, the sun is beginning to hang low in the sky, and they decide to make camp. She explained that, back then, there were many Hogans scattered across the res that didn't have permanent inhabitants. They were built with the same intentions as the reasoning behind hunters' cabins, to temporarily provide shelter for hunters, or in this case, sheep herders. She said that these Hogans often had corrals for wary shepherds to house their sheep or livestock for the night and continue on their way the next day. Ranchers and locals would upkeep these safe houses sporadically. She remembers clearly being instructed by her mother which Hogans were meant for that purpose and the ones that had people die in them and were off limits, making them uninhabitable according to Navajo tradition. In place of a door, there was a tattered, moth-eaten blanket hanging from the doorframe. On the inside of the east-facing entrance was a plyboard. It was meant to be leaned up against the doorway and prevent wild animals from entering when occupied. Her older brothers gathered wood and started a fire. The smoke went up the stovepipe in the center of the Hogan. She remembers everyone being fatigued and tired after a long day's march. The dirt floor provided a familiar and comforting smell. They laid their sleeping bags out. The plywood board was put up against the doorway. The brothers found long logs to leverage against the board. Staring at the smoke escaping through the smoke hole, she could see the stars and the dark night sky. The smoke hole was unusually eroded away, making it seem wider than typical smoke holes. The dirt pile on the ceiling of the Hogan was probably eroded by wind and rain, not being maintained regularly just packed down with fresh mud. The fire was just embers now. As she was drifting off to sleep, she said the sheepdogs that had accompanied them just started going crazy outside, howling and barking. She hears the thudding of a horse running around the Hogan. She is startled by a loud thud up against the board at the entrance, but the brothers had braced the doorway correctly and it doesn't give out. Then she hears a thud on top of the Hogan roof. Dust and debris begins falling from the old-fashioned Hogan roofing under the weight of whatever was walking on top. Her older brother, who was closest to her, whispers in Navajo to close her eyes. She said curiosity got the best of her, and she kept them open. Rocks the size of gravel started falling down the stovepipe. The skinwalker was deliberately throwing heavy rocks down the stovepipe, making loud metal scraping noises as they fell into the Hogan's fireplace. In the dark, her eyes dart from the low glowing embers of the fire, upward, following the deep blackness of the stovepipe and out the smoke hole. There were no glowing eyes, as she would have expected, just the silhouette of the head and torso of the skinwalker peeking in. She described it as having ears on top of its head like a coyote or dog, but the ears weren't of the canine variety. The ears were elongated and pointy, 
In the darkness, she said they looked like donkey ears, but were positioned on a coyote-like head. She spent a few moments frozen and staring at the creature, never having seen anything that resembled it in nature. It was unaggressive and only watched them for a while, eventually dismounting from the roof and the familiar thuds of horse hooves off into the distance. The dogs howled and whined after it, but they never left their post at the sheep corral. I was on a 41-foot sailboat in the middle of the Chesapeake Bay with about seven other men doing a shakedown test cruise. We planned to be out for about 12 hours. It was the mid-80s, not as reliable weather prediction resources. We got caught in a tropical storm, winds gusting into the 50 mile per hour range, just this short of a weak hurricane. We had just barely rigged storm housers and storm sails because the one fellow on board who was the best sailor sensed the storm was almost on us, otherwise we would have died. During the storm itself, I expected to die at any time. In fact, we made a Securite call on the radio. If you have time at sea, you know what I'm talking about. If not, it's not that important. For what seemed like 15 minutes, we were in a maelstrom. No visibility, but then it passed, and we would live. This was at about 3 p.m., and although there was cloud cover, of course, the ambient light was such that you could see two miles in any direction. If you're familiar with the sea, you know that such storms, particularly in shallower depths near land masses, dredge a lot of things up from the seafloor. We're all on deck, working lines, checking damage, etc. And the bay around us is choppy and churning and foaming. Old-timey sailors often use the saying, the sea is confused. I look about 15 feet off the starboard side, and something swims to the surface, breaks the surface, looks at us, and then submerges again. It was like a thin man with humanoid shape. Arms articulated like a man, a human head, but its skin was covered in scales like a snake. It looked at us, blinked its weird, heavy-lidded eyes, and then dove back under. So maybe you need to know a few things about me at that moment. No drugs, no alcohol, no injuries. I was elated because I was glad to be alive, but my senses in that situation were sharpened, not dulled. I had, at that time, about six years' experience on ships and fishing boats, and had seen squid, octopi, flying fish, sharks, skates, etc., all around the world. I was not the type of guy to see a patch of seaweed and call it a sea monster. I made an instant decision that I was not going to say anything. What could I say? I just saw a strange creature, take my word for it. The men on this boat were all mechanics and engineers and professionals. Why get a reputation as a flake? At the time, it was important for each of us to get a D-skipper or OOD qualifications, and saying something like that would be frowned upon. And as I stood there in my life vest, soaking wet, hooking onto the steel lifeline, glad to be alive, one of the other sailors, a U.S. Navy captain with over 30 years experience in the surface Navy, piped up and said, I just saw a brown thing pop up on the surface. It looked like a lizard man with a scaly face. It blinked at us with these big eyes, and then it went back under. Yeah, I saw it too, I said. No one else said they had seen it. Then we sailed back to the pier later that day, and didn't speak of it again.
Growing up, I was always at my grandma's house. One of my parents had substance abuse issues, and going to my gram's house was the best. I had friends there, and she lived in a really nice suburb with tons of other kids my age. I made really good friends with a neighbor who had woods in his backyard. Let's call him Mike for the sake of the story. We'd often take little lunches packed by my grandma and go out into the woods to eat them and admire creeks and birds, collect pebbles and stuff. You know, kid stuff. This was harmless, and you could usually always see the backs of the houses when you went into the woods. I remember one day we made packs, mine was in a grocery bag, and planned to venture out further than ever before. You know how you have limitless energy when you're little, and low back pain hasn't set in from sitting at a desk for most of your adult life. You literally could walk for hours, and probably miles, and not even notice, and eat a crappy PB&J, and have a can of coke, and be totally rejuvenated. Yeah, that was us. So, we walked further than ever. We slid down a hill. I remember being really scared of this, and actually still am majorly scared to fall when hiking. I got a little scuffed up, nothing major. Mike was slightly older than me, so I wanted to seem tough and just walked it off. We walked deep into the woods, and I remember being just slightly creeped out, but not enough to protest. I wanted to explore too and this still hasn't changed. This is in western Pennsylvania, I should add. We weren't in the rural areas of my state, but some of the suburbs do intersect with trails and nature preserves, which can go on for acres and acres. We came upon a tent, in the middle of freaking nowhere, and I remember being terrified. My grandma gave me a lot of freedom because I was a pretty responsible kid. This was also the 90s. Aside from needing to be home by streetlights every night, Stranger danger was something she drilled into my head. This set off the internal stranger danger alarm loudly, but at this point, I was too afraid to leave Mike's side. So we approached the tent, even though everything inside of me is screaming to get the fuck out of there. Mike goes up to it, and I tentatively follow. At first, I thought someone was just camping, but it looks more permanent than that. Anyway, there's a fire that's out, but still smoking like it had been doused. There were bones everywhere. Skulls, mostly. Tiny ones, which to my untrained eye just looked like animal bones. There were also little pelts of animals, covering what looked like paint and symbols. My adrenaline kicked me right in the ass and I ran. Mike ran too. We ran so far and so fast that we fell down the other side of a hill and ended up emerging from the woods, on the other side of a shooting range. The men firing were screaming at us to leave, understandably. I was so scared of the tent that I didn't process the real danger which was the shooting range. We definitely could have died very tragically there. So, looking back on this memory I'm wondering, was this something nefarious? Or could this have been a homeless nomad living in the woods? If they were living there, maybe the bones were from small game they had to eat. But the pelts with symbols are throwing me. I don't know. This is a weird memory that I can still see clearly to date. What do you think? This happened to my younger sister and I not too long ago, and I hope this doesn't ruin the case that we have going. There's a park about a two minute drive from my house, and about a seven minute walk. We were hanging out at the park having a good time. We noticed a man sitting on the bench, just staring at us. 
It was around 6pm and the park was decently full. I'm disabled so I just assumed he was giving me a look for that. Unfortunately, it's a pretty normal occurrence and I've even had people tell me that I'm too young to be using a cane or to stop faking it. After a while, we left the park and went home. About an hour and a half goes by and we noticed her phone was missing. We couldn't find it anywhere and decided to go back to the park to look. At this point, it was dark and kind of foggy, but I've walked through this park a million times at night. It was about 8.30 and we got out of the car to go look where we had sat the entire time. It wasn't there, so we went back to the car to look there. We opened three of the four doors and turned on the lights in the car. All of a sudden, I had a sense of danger go down my spine and strike me at my core. I told my sister to get in the car and lock the doors, and we did. We sit there for a little while while I try to regain my thoughts and figure out why exactly I felt like that. The car fogged up while we were sitting there, and I wiped some of the fog off the front windshields in my view from the passenger side. That's when I saw him. A man all alone, he looked to be in his mid-thirties, standing by a lamppost staring directly at us. I watched him intently and he started walking toward the car. We were both scared shitless. She had noticed him too and all we could do was watch him, horrified. He got about two feet from the car and acted like he was going to walk past it. Suddenly, he jumps out and aggressively tries to get into the car, jiggling the handle hard. I tell my sister to start the car and go. She puts the keys in the ignition and backs out, running over his foot. He pulls something out of his pocket and reaches down to the back tire, swinging what I now think was a knife. We drive home and call the police. They arrive and said he didn't commit a crime and therefore they wouldn't investigate. I made a post on next door to warn parents to not let their children come to the park alone since the park is in the neighborhood. I had a woman message me privately that he had come to her house selling pest control and asked to enter her home. She sent me a doorbell picture and sure enough it was him. I took note of the company name on the shirt and I actually called them, telling them what happened to see if there was a misunderstanding. They told me that he doesn't work for them and pointed out the logo on his shirt. Although it had the company name, it was a different color and didn't belong to them. I looked through several more pest control companies in the entire state and I found nothing else that matched the company name. It was Boston, the dead of night after Christmas Day of 84, and I had just turned four. It was a good year for presents, and one thing I got was a tent bed, a pop-up tent that fit over my mattress. I slept on one side of the house, while my parents and three sisters slept on the other, separated by the kitchen and living room. It was a very old house. I woke up in the middle of the night to a noise coming from the living room. It sounded like random digital tones. I recognize now, like the first 10 seconds of ELO's telephone line. I was clutching my Cabbage Patch Kid doll. My sisters all had one, so my parents got me one, the boy, a Red Sox themed one, and rolled over and can see out of the vents at the top of the tent bed, a cascade of tiny shiny diamond shapes. They were floating down around my tent bed, not through the vent, and it didn't scare me or anything. I just thought, Hey, look at that. That's pretty interesting. You don't see that every day. 
Still carrying my Cabbage Patch doll, I unzipped the tent bed and walked to my door because I assumed my sister was going to get an ass whipping because she was up playing with one of the new toys. Specifically, I thought she was playing with a Monkey C Radio Shack calculator she got that made noises. When I got to the threshold, I saw, standing in the kitchen about five feet in front of me, a three-foot-tall humanoid blue creature. It looked like it was made of modeling clay. It was holding my mom's ancient copy of The Joy of Cooking. It was open, and it appeared to be reading it. Then, it looked directly at me, and its mouth went round like an O. I assumed in surprise. I immediately noped the fuck out and jumped back into my tent bed, clutching the Cabbage Patch doll tightly. I was completely terrified and just stayed like that until I eventually fell asleep. Nothing happened like that before or since, and I remember it like it was yesterday. Growing up, I was always at my grandma's house. One of my parents had substance abuse issues, and going to my gram's house was the best. I had friends there, and she lived in a really nice suburb with tons of other kids my age. I made really good friends with a neighbor who had woods in his backyard. Let's call him Mike for the sake of the story. We'd often take little lunches packed by my grandma and go out into the woods to eat them and admire creeks and birds, collect pebbles and stuff. You know, kid stuff. This was harmless, and you could usually always see the backs of the houses when you went into the woods. I remember one day we made packs, mine was in a grocery bag, and planned to venture out further than ever before. You know how you have limitless energy when you're little, and low back pain hasn't set in from sitting at a desk for most of your adult life. You literally could walk for hours, and probably miles, and not even notice, and eat a crappy PB&J, and have a can of coke, and be totally rejuvenated. Yeah, that was us. So, we walked further than ever. We slid down a hill. I remember being really scared of this, and actually still majorly scared to fall when hiking. I got a little scuffed up, nothing major. Mike was slightly older than me, so I wanted to seem tough and just walked it off. We walked deep into the woods, and I remember being just slightly creeped out, but not enough to protest. I wanted to explore too, and this still hasn't changed. This is in western Pennsylvania, I should add. We weren't in the rural areas of my state, but some of the suburbs do intersect with trails and nature preserves, which can go on for acres and acres. We came upon a tent, in the middle of freaking nowhere, and I remember being terrified. My grandma gave me a lot of freedom because I was a pretty responsible kid. This was also the 90s. Aside from needing to be home by streetlights every night, Stranger Danger was something she drilled into my head. This set off the internal Stranger Danger alarm loudly, but at this point, I was too afraid to leave Mike's side. So we approached the tent, even though everything inside of me is screaming to get the fuck out of there. Mike goes up to it, and I tentatively follow. At first, I thought someone was just camping, but it looks more permanent than that. Anyway, there's a fire that's out, but still smoking like it had been doused. There were bones everywhere. Skulls, mostly. Tiny ones, which to my untrained eye just looked like animal bones. There were also little pelts of animals, covering what looked like paint and symbols. My adrenaline kicked me right in the ass and I ran. Mike ran too. We ran so far and so fast that we fell down the other side of a hill 
and ended up emerging from the woods on the other side of a shooting range. The men firing were screaming at us to leave, understandably. I was so scared of the tent that I didn't process the real danger which was the shooting range. We definitely could have died very tragically there. So, looking back on this memory I'm wondering, was this something nefarious? Or could this have been a homeless nomad living in the woods? If they were living there, maybe the bones were from small game they had to eat. But the pelts with symbols are throwing me. I don't know. This is a weird memory that I can still see clearly to date. What do you think? So, to start from the beginning, I, a 30-year-old female, met this guy on Bumble, a 39-year-old male, while I was renting a room at a sober house in Colorado Springs to get everything squared away to officially move out here. Nursing license transferred, job, apartment, etc. After I officially moved out and got settled in, we talked on the phone a few times and decided to meet in person. It was about 4 in the afternoon and we planned to have dinner and maybe go on a scenic drive. He had asked me to pick him up from his work and we could go from there. I didn't think much of it at the time, so I went to his work and picked him up, figuring I would drop him back off so he could take his car and go home. The first thing he told me to do when he got in my car was to stop at the liquor store. He wanted to grab something for later. After he told me to stop at the liquor store, I felt kind of awkward because he knew that I was in recovery. At this point in my recovery, I feel okay with being around alcohol. He came out of the liquor store with two shooters of Patron and a bottle of vodka. Not even minutes after leaving the liquor store and me heading to the place where we were going to get food, he's slamming the shots of Patron in my car. I started noticing with his behavior that he was very manic and kind of jumping from subject to subject and they would randomly ask me if I was upset or if he had done something to make me mad. I already have all the bad vibes and can tell something is very off of him. During our drive to get food, he's telling me how when he was little, he threw a rock purposely at a bunny and killed it, and also within the last five years was at a bonfire with his friends and shot a cat that was in the field. At this point, I'm totally weirded out and already trying to figure out how I'm going to end the date. This was brought up very casually like it was no big deal. Also, he knows that I have three cats. We get to the taco place and he proceeds to ask the staff if they have no carb tacos. The lady looks confused and basically was like, um, tacos are pretty much all carbs. He started getting anxious about what to order. I could tell with his mannerisms. I ended up just ordering for us. He proceeded to then get a beer to go along with a shot of Patron he was able to get it to go because of the whole COVID situation. So we get in my car and now I have a bottle of vodka, two empty shot bottles of Patron which he just tossed on the side of my door, as well as a to-go beer and another shot of Patron. He continues to drink and would randomly shout, look at us in Colorado eating great tacos. I'm drinking, you're driving, it's beautiful out here. So I couldn't bear the date any longer and said I had to go meet a friend. He seemed a little upset and confused, so we get back to his dealership he works at, and he said it was fine to just drop him off. He wanted to go in the dealership that he owns, while people were still working and eat the tacos. He said, 
Let's go in. It's a beautiful place. I can drink comfortably, and we can eat the tacos. I declined, and we ate them in the car quickly. When the plan was for us to go our separate ways, he then asked if I can just bring him home. I said okay. Anything to get him out of my presence at this point. He also lived close by my apartment. Before we head to his place, he said he had to grab some stuff out of his car. So he gets back in my car, and I hear him put something in the side of the door. I look over and see the handle of a gun. My stomach immediately dropped. I was like, is that a fucking gun? He laughed and said, yeah, I can't just leave it in my car. I love guns. I told him I was super uncomfortable, and he just laughed like, why would you be uncomfortable? I said, um, because I don't know you at all, barely. This is our first time meeting, and now there's a gun in my car. Thinking back, I should have told him to get the fuck out, but I had never been in this kind of situation before, and the fact that there was now a loaded gun in my car, and he was drunk, I didn't know what to do, so I just proceeded to leave the dealership and bring him home. So, on the way to his apartment, he then asked me if he can see my phone. I was thinking in my head like, okay, no way, you're drunk, you have a gun in my car, and now you want my cell phone? I asked why, and he kind of stuttered and said he wanted to look up a song. I said I would type it in, and he insisted that he did. I then just kind of blurted out, no, you have a gun in my car, and now you want my cell phone, it's not happening. He kept seeming so alarmed that I was so freaked out about him having a gun in my car, and then wanting my phone. After typing in the song he wanted, I continued to humor him and make future plans and talk about how great of a time I had. This was the only tactic I could think of to keep him in a positive mood and think that things were going great. All I could think of was the loaded gun next to him. So finally, after what felt like hours, we get to his apartment. As he's getting out of my car, he goes to grab his gun very haphazardly and literally has his finger on the trigger. At this point, he was still in my passenger seat. He then steps out and could probably see the look of fear in my eyes, and he just fucking laughs. Then, he whipped the gun around the front of him and finally put it in his back pocket. Mind you, once again, he's been drinking the entire time, and also told me he had shot and killed a cat on purpose. He then told me to keep the bottle of vodka he had bought, so I had to come back later to watch a movie with him. I said absolutely not. Take the bottle and I'll call you after I meet my friend. I never again reached out and I haven't heard from him since. Thank God.